don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I loved to wrestle. I still love to wrestle with my son. Now he can take me, but I also have years of wisdom that makes him think he can't. I can still talk just enough trash to intimidate him. Are you with me? The role of being a dad is after you're not as strong as your children, your mouth is louder. It's just a rule. And so when Nate and I get together, we still wrestle like crazy. And he usually hurts me. And when he was in high school playing high school football, and then he went into college and, and all that kind of stuff, I, 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 and, and college football, I got up to a place where I wouldn't wrestle with him as much, but I would talk a lot of trash. And I also still owned the car he drove. But when I was growing up, wrestling, not wrestling, wrestling was a big deal. In fact, when I would go visit my grandparents, my grandfather owned these service stations and I would work there all summer. As soon as baseball season ended, I would go work for him for about six weeks to earn money. My parents were poor. They pastored those little tiny churches that were good for one thing, the making and the breaking of a man of God. Trust me. And in East LA, East Lower Alabama, <laughs> and uh, demonic. And so... But I can remember I'd go to work for my grandfather in the summertime. I, they'd take me up to see him, and I'd work all summer, well, about six weeks or so, changing oil and working on cars and, and changing tires. And, I mean, I, I, I did it every summer, and I would live with them for that period of time. But periodically, my grandfather, who was about as big of a redneck as you could find, would come walking into the office there at the service station, and say, you know what, Pat? I think we need to go to wrestling tonight. Now what you gotta understand is I was kind of a preppy kid, so I didn't want anybody to know I got excited about that stuff. But my grandmother, who was a godly woman, he would load us up in his truck, and we'd go down to this auditorium in Birmingham. And I mean, these people are lunatics. They wanted somebody to die. And there was people that would come and wrestle. But was the scary part was my grandmother would turn into this crazy woman. She would go from being this sweet, brilliant, slash mama of the house, slash did all the books for the businesses. But when she would get to those wrestling matches, I would look over at her and she would literally be foaming. She was a crazy woman. She would start screaming for her favorite wrestler or wrestler. And I'm sitting back going, this is my grandmother. I told no one about her. And I just wanted once to stand up and scream. It's fake but I would have died because they believed it was real. One of my, in fact, one of my favorite movies is Nacho Libre. I love that movie. It's so anointed. It's so anointed when, 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 the, when he baptizes him over and over. Get that devil out of him. Favorite line in the movie is, I ate bugs. I ate grass. I used... 
my hand to wipe my tears. I love, I love that movie. Anyway, my daughter and I still love to watch that and Napoleon Dynamite. They are the most anointed movies I know. And so, in fact, I'll never forget, I watched Nacho Libre for the first time. I was on a flight home from Australia, and my friend had said to me, and his name's Reggie Dabbs. Reggie had said, bro, you need to watch this when you get on the plane. And, and I watched it one time, and I thought, this is the stupidest movie I've ever seen, but then the rule is you got to watch it twice. And at 3 o'clock in the morning on the plane, I'm laughing out loud. Can I preach about wrestling tonight? Can I talk about what it's like to do war? In fact, let me preach about the greatest wrestling match in history. In fact, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna rent this wrestling match because I wanna watch it. Because see what you gotta understand and looking in your Bibles real quick at Genesis chapter 32, I'm preaching a message tonight simply titled, The Enemy Within Me. And you gotta understand something. I have realized that until you confront you, you're never going to get free. In fact, Genesis chapter 32, verse 24, can I preach about this? You're going to get with me, right? Because the altars are going to be open in just a moment. And we're going to have one of those nights when we get with God and we have an encounter and we start getting free of the things that have haunted you because the enemy's number one goal is to mess you up in your first 17 years of your life to stop the next 60 years of your life. And if he can somehow mark you and scar you, but scars on earth are testimonies in heaven, if he can somehow keep you from realizing at the moment you're in right now in your life that there's more ahead of you, things greater you'll settle for less and the Bible says in Genesis chapter 32 it says but Jacob stayed behind by himself let me tell you something the greatest thing that can ever happen to you is to get stuck with you because it's when you're by yourself you have to confront the person in the room my greatest moves of God have not been at altar calls my greatest moves of God that I've ever had is when I've been stuck in places the night that I was stuck in a hotel in Toronto, Canada, after battling a failure spirit for 10 years, feeling like a failure. I could preach to thousands, and I felt like a failure. And my son uh, was on the other end of the line. I was stuck in a blizzard, and Nate couldn't get to me. Uh, I couldn't get to Nate because I was stuck in a blizzard in Toronto, and his eardrums had burst, and that spirit of failure came on me that I had failed as a father. And Nate was about seven years old, and friends of mine from around America, from John Bevere to other uh, great leaders, called me to try to speak life to me. But it, it happened for about seven hours in a hotel room. I wrestled with God and I got free of that failure spirit and it cannot come near me now but there comes a moment when you've got to get by yourself and a man wrestled with him how many of you know that's Jesus and a man wrestled with him until daybreak there is something about making it through the night because weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning there's something about holding on till the sun comes up come on and get excited this morning or this evening and when the man saw that he couldn't get the best of Jacob as they wrestled, he deliberately threw Jacob's hip out of joint. And the man said, let me go. It is daybreak. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. I'm not letting you go till I get free of this thing that has held me for years. I'm not letting you go till I make up my mind that I am not going to be the same person that started this fight. 
I'm not letting you go till I suddenly know who I am in God. You better get a hold of this because this is what I'm preaching tonight. He told me last night to get ready for this morning. And I spent the day writing this word to share with you because there is a moment when you finally break free of those things that have held you. I'm talking to the preachers in the room too. Because I've learned that when you go into ministry, a lot of times it's just because you want to be seen. But once you get in ministry, you just want to hide. I've learned that in ministry, you, people can steal your stuff, but you're not allowed to press charges. And I've learned that the greatest hindrance to the move of God in my ministry is no one's fault but me. So if you're a youth pastor in this room, you listen to me because I wish somebody would have shared this to me uh, about, about 15 years ago when I was in the thick of leading one of the largest youth ministries in America, but nobody knew that I went to bed every night battling with self. In fact, let me tell you about the enemy I know best. See, understand something. We have a generation being raised. Can I preach this? Today we have a generation that believes it's possible to hang out with demons and still pursue God. And I was getting ready to speak to a whole bunch of youth pastors that I talk to every periodically every month during the, the regular school year. And, and they all call in, and there's usually about 150 or so. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, Pat, the, the enemy has dispatched a spirit from hell to make young leaders in America, young youth pastors, believe that they can act like those they're called to win. Convince them. Live like the world. But you've got to understand there is no such thing as dancing with the devil and serenading the cross. I'm going to say it again because God gave me that this morning. He said there's no such thing as dancing with the devil and at the same time trying to serenade the cross with your worship. Because what you got to understand, I'm talking about image management versus authentic living. I'm going to go deep and I'm going to go intense tonight. Because I'm reminded of what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19. Do you see the difference? Sacrifice offered to idols or offered to nothing? For what's the idol but a nothing? Or worse than a nothing, a minus, a demon. I don't want you to become part of something that reduces you to less than yourself. And you can't have it both ways. Banqueting, banqueting with the masters one day and slumming with demons the next. This is for everybody that knows how to worship on Sunday and act like heaven and act like hell on Monday. Besides, the master won't put up with it. He wants us all or nothing. Do you think we can get off with anything else? In fact, we're living in a period of time in America and I'm watching this happen. We're literally a preach, people are preaching there's no such thing as conviction. There's no such thing as sin. And, and, but that's not what the Bible tells me. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. It says, if we claim that we're free, from, free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. I claim that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, make a clean breast of them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll figure our sins. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all our wrongdoing. If we claim that we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God, make a liar out of him, a claim that only shows off our ignorance of God. Listen to me. I'm not concerned about a lot of things. I'm not concerned about crime coming against me. I'm not concerned about bad people. I just happen to believe in angels. I'm not concerned about thieves or murderers. I'm just not. I don't walk in fear of those things. I'm not in fear of poverty or bankruptcy or even sickness. I, I'm sorry. That stuff just doesn't get me. In fact, I'm not even really too concerned about the devil himself because God's got my back. 
But you know the biggest, baddest, raunchiest person I deal with is the guy I see in the mirror every morning. Because you got to understand, I can tell you there's been seasons in my life where I've had to wrestle. I wrestled it as a teenager at 16 years old when Jesus walked into my bedroom. I wrestled when my sister passed away. She had been gone for six months. And one afternoon I went into my prayer room and wrestled with God for about several hours until I got free of that. There's been about four key times in my life. I was telling Pastor earlier, back in March, I was walking through something with my parents, and finally, I'm in a hotel room in Singapore, and I just lifted my hands. I'm, I had already spoke like six times in this country, and I was exhausted, and I was tired, and I hadn't got over the jet lag, and I had been out for a jog, and I lifted my hands, and I said, God, you've got to take this thing. And I felt this thing lift off me and leave the room. See, I don't care who you think you are. There must be seasons of wrestling. In fact, we all, we all, want this, we all have this incredible desire to be free. But how do I get there, Pat? I, I love what James chapter 4 verse 7 says. It says, it says, it says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. We, we read this last night. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. This scripture goes in the face of modern-day Hollywood Christianity. Because what this is saying is they're supposed to be a breaking process, but I think sometimes we got Christian Mr. T's running around with our chains on and treating it like jewelry. And God says, what would happen if I walked into a service tonight and I broke those things off you? What would happen if I came into this place and a freedom hit your spirit? Somebody give God a praise offering because it's going to happen. Because God's will is everything you knew you always wanted. And there comes that moment where he begins to set you free. So tonight, we're going to wrestle. In fact, you've got to understand, the battle for your life started at conception. There was a war that began. Immediately. See, understand something. God knew who I was long before my mother's pregnancy test. The time at one years old when I'm sound asleep in a bedroom. My sister and I slept with my mom. My brother had not been born yet. My father worked for the Teamsters Union. He was gone out one night, probably up to no good, probably selling drugs, I don't know. And in our beautiful house that was bought with drug money, somebody he had ticked off came into the house. I was sound asleep as a baby. We weren't saved. No one had ever been saved in our family. Had a little Roman Catholicism in our family, but that was about it. And some men came into the house where I lived and they ransacked the house and stole every single thing in the house. My father came in, drug-induced, Came in at about 4.30 in the morning, ran into the house, and there wasn't a single thing in our house. He takes off running to the bedroom where I'm sound asleep, where my sister's sound asleep, where my mom is sound asleep. He bursts through the door, and nothing was messed with.
we were sound asleep. So even before my parents knew who God was, God was already putting angels to block doors, saying, I've got a plan for that boy laying in there in that bed. He may not come from much right now, but I can take eight months and make it a lot. Are you getting this so far? But there was a war. The minute you were born, at the very moment you were born, alarms went off in hell and the enemy said, if I can stop them, if I can somehow mark them, if I can somehow keep them from realizing who they are, I know what I'll do. I'll drop a little divorce early in their life or a little death early in their life. I know what I'll do. I'll attack them with a little sickness. In fact, I'll even tell the doctors they're not supposed to live. But God says, watch what I do because I can take a doctor's report and tear it up. I can restore a heart broken by divorce. Somebody give my God. I'm going to preach. The battle was at conception. You've got to understand what I'm talking about because there's a moment where you begin to understand. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 25, Isaac, Abraham's son, prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Psalms 139 says that there's a secret place that you were knitted in. At the moment the seed went in, God said, watch me create something out of nothing. It says, he knit me together in my mother's womb. I love what the King James Version said, because it says that it's a secret place. Why do you think the enemy fights so hard to keep you out of the secret place? Because that's the place where you get knit together. And some of the greatest wars I've ever had were in the secret place. And in the womb of the woman by the name of Rebecca, there was two boys. One was Jacob, who would become the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. The other was Esau. Two very different people inside of one body. You know what I've learned? There's two people inside of me. In fact, everybody knows that Jacob wrestled with God, but it also says he wrestled right here, and I'm going to go to that in a moment, but no, watch, because a battle takes place inside of the secret place. You've not really gone to another level with God till you wrestle in the secret place. They're in the womb. They're in the secret place, and they start having a battle. Look what it says in Genesis. Watch this right here, because I was reading this this morning, and I thought, dear God, this is exactly who we are. Isaac prayed hard to, to God for his wife because she was bare. Now watch, but, and, and God answered his prayer and Rebecca became pregnant but the children tumbled and kicked inside her so much that she said if this is the way it's going to be why go on living you know that's when you make your mama mad when she wants to die with you inside of her and she goes to God and she found out what was going on and God told her two nations are in your womb two people butting heads while still in the secret place so what we got is two brothers living together and they're not even in the world yet. They're not even outside the secret place and they're already fighting each other. I've learned that the first wrestling that usually starts is in the womb. It's in the early years when God's starting to birth something in you. It's in the womb of ministry when you know you're called but 
Your family's telling you you're supposed to make money. It's in the early part of any womb that the war takes place. It's in the early part of a God-given relationship that flesh tries to interfere to stop a relationship that God's brought together. Instead of honoring each other and protecting each other, you don't wait on God's timing so you force things. I've learned that it's in the womb. If he can kill the womb, why do you think abortion is so big in this nation? Because if he can stop the womb, if he can get the womb to stop, then maybe, just maybe, we'll will shut down a generation from leading a revolution across the land. I wonder how many people have been put to death that he had handpicked that were supposed to lead mighty movements. I wonder how many children were supposed to stand on stages and someday let me hand them the baton to take my place. You're not getting this just yet. You need to know it is a miracle you got outside the womb. You sitting here is a miracle because hell didn't want that to happen. You being here right now is a miracle because the womb is the first place of the attack. The womb is the most, oh, you're not getting this yet. My God told me to come and tell you, you're sitting here tonight, and it's not by chance, because he's not a God of luck. He's a God of power and authority and anointing. Somebody praise him. I've come to declare your identity tonight, but so what you have to understand is in Genesis 25, verse 24, it goes on to say, when her time came to give birth, sure enough, there were twins in the womb. The first came out reddish, as if snugly wrapped in a hairy blanket. <laughs> That's weird. You know you got issues when your kid needs to shave. Brother coming out, y'all got a big? He's all, I mean, he's just hairy. Somebody doesn't give birth to a Sasquatch. As if snugly wrapped in a hairy blanket. <laughs> I've seen people like that on the beach last week. I'm like, bro, go shave. One man got on the, we were at the beach for, uh, preaching at camp. One guy got on the elevator, and I'm like, it's like wall-to-wall -wall carpet. Let's move on. And they named him Esau, which means hairy. And his brother followed his fist clutched tight to Esau's heel. And they named him Jacob, which means heel. And Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. Understand, there's two different boys. One comes out very manly. One comes out that's not so much like that. One decides he wants to trip up the man. Because what you all have to understand is we all have evil twins. I battle with mine every morning. I said it yesterday. I believe it was yesterday or last night. I said, every great leader battles with great highs and great lows. They very rarely ever live in between. A few months ago, I was sound asleep in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And I had stayed up working, it's been over a year now, I had stayed up working on my book that's back at the table. And I woke up at exactly 9-11. If you've known me for a long time, you know that 9-11 is special to me because it means the secret place. I see it all the time. I wake up and I have to go do a staff meeting for the pastorate of an incredible church in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And, but the Lord says, I want you to go out to the battlefields where 150 years ago this summer, two weeks ago, over 50,000 men lost their life. 
One group was fighting for freedom and another group was fighting to keep slavery. Thank goodness freedom won. But I got up and this battlefield that spreads miles wide, the Lord said, go out and worship me in the battlefield. I said, Lord, that's weird. They got tour buses, that's weird. But I did it because he was trying to take me to another level. He spoke something to me. He said, Pat, for years, your family hasn't known who's going to wake up in the morning time. A revivalist ready to change the world. A melancholy preacher. An on-fire dad. Or a quiet man. And I went out and began to dance before the Lord. I know this sounds crazy. I'm writing about it in my new book. Because it was out there with my wife on speakerphone, I just began to repent for years of not knowing who I was. Not knowing who was going to wake up. Can I preach this? Is this all right? I called my son and I said, Nate, I'm so sorry. He said, oh, Dad, no, no, no. I said, no, no, no. If my children had to check the temperature of the room when I got up to see if I was okay, something was wrong. Oh, I blamed it on ministry. I blamed it on wanting to change the world. But really, I should have blamed it on the mirror. Follow me. I love what Jeannie Mayo said to me one day when I was talking to her. She's a great youth pastor. She's a mom to me. And she said, Pat, it's not about what's happening to you or what you're going through. It's about what's going on inside of you. Here's Jacob and Esau. They represent the two natures that we're born with. Jacob, his name meant heel holder or supplanter, someone that holds you back, a deceiver. Esau, his brother, who was the big hairy one, meant rot or deal or commit or execute to prepare, to work hard, to perform. So it was two different people. One that was determined to get things done and the other one was determined to make sure nobody else could. One is big and strong, hairy. He's a committed worker. And the other one is Jacob. Now, don't get me wrong, because Jacob came by his lying spirit honestly because his grandfather and his father had issues. Abraham and Isaac both had lied at different times. So it's amazing what I'm learning about generational curses. If you don't confront them and cut them off, they will get stronger with each generation. And sooner or later, you can't even see the roots where the roots started because there's so much built up around the root, you can't even find it. But I do believe in the power of the cross that breaks curses. I do believe when that cross dropped in the ground, it cut the root in half. You just got to apply the blood. Are you getting this so far? In fact, in Genesis chapter 25, I'm walking you through the chronological order of a deceiver. In Genesis chapter 25, we know that Esau, who loved to eat, goes hunting one day. Because Esau was the firstborn, he deserved the blessing. He would be the head of the house someday. He comes out from hunting one day and all of a sudden, he says, look man, I am about to die. And there was the deceiver standing in front of him with a bowl of soup. 
And his brother goes, dude, give me that. I've been hunting for three days and I haven't had anything to eat. And he goes, it smells good, doesn't it? As he reaches forward, he says, hold on. I'll give it to you. If you'll give me your birthright. If you'll make me the firstborn. Esau is so wrapped up in his own flesh and feeding his flesh that he sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. The man was a millionaire. He could have had a feast, but he settled for a bowl in front of him instead of something that would be cooked later. You're not getting what I'm saying. Some of you are selling your birthright as firstborn to God and settling for something to appease your flesh on the moment when God says, if you'll hold on, if you'll wait, if you'll not settle for him or not settle for her, I got a feast laid out for you. I got a plan. I'm going to feed you down the road and it'll feed thousands, but don't settle for the soup. devil loves it when you settle. So he takes his brother's birthright. But that wasn't enough. He gets with his mother who likes him more than his brother. Jacob, the deceiver, goes to his mom and she's out, says, she says, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. Your father's blind. He's old. It's time for him to bless the one that will take over the blessings and the miracles and the family and the finances and the sheeps and the herds and the wives. She says, here's what we're going to do. Your brother's away hunting right now. I'm going to go put on it. I'm going to go get a pair of his clothes that smells like the outdoors. I want you to put them on. His mother helped him. Then she went and took goat skin and put it around his arms and around his face. You know a brother's hairy when you get goat skin. He's got major hormone issues. And she says, then I want you to go see your dad. And when you see your dad, I want you to speak to him. So he walks in to where Isaac is laying. And he goes, hi, dad. And he says, you smell like Esau. You feel like Esau. But you sound like your brother. And he says, dad, I brought you a meal. And it smelled so good. It smelled like the outdoors. It smelled like something freshly killed. He says, Dad, I'm going to give you a meal. And as his dad is rubbing the goat skin on his arm, he said, but Father, would you bless me first? And suddenly, his father reaches up and lays a blessing on him that did not belong to him. Are you getting this so far? And the Bible says in Genesis 27, verse 35, your brother Esau comes in from hunting. He finds out because it says Jacob refused to leave his dad's side after that because he didn't want, he didn't dare want this all to come out. But Esau comes running in from hunting and he says, look, dad, I brought you a meal. Look, dad, if I'll give it to you if you'll just give me your blessing. And he goes, what? I already gave you my blessing and Jacob is sitting in the corner with a smile on his face with fake hair on his arms and 
Esau goes crazy. He said, but your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. This is Isaac speaking right here. And Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob, which means deceiver? He took, he, he has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. Somebody better get a hold of this because some of you are summoned for counterfeits. Some of you are letting the enemy steal your blessing and your miracle and the thing you were called to be a part of. You're a royal priesthood and the enemy's not only going to take what you what belongs to you being a part of the kingship of God, but he wants to take your anointing, your blessing, what you're supposed to walk in, your favor. And it goes on to say, then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And, and all of a sudden, Isaac looks up at him old and he said, son, I gave your blessing away. And in verse 41, the battle continues. It says that Esau held a grudge against the deceiver for the, for, from that point on because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, meaning his dad's about to die. But after dad kicks off, after dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother. And the war began. Hatfield and McCoy. At that moment, suddenly, there was a split in a messed up family. Suddenly, from that point on, Jacob had sold so many lives and deceived so many people that from that point on, he would live his life running from his mistakes. God told me to preach this tonight. Because it's the law of two natures. And there's two natures at war. The good and the bad. Which one is winning? Watch this. Come on, team. Qui c'è il buio fuori di me ed anche un po' dentro di me che assurdità questa città senza persone Non so spiegare neanche come, ma non è questa la mia dimensione, è la mia mente, non è mai in pace, è sempre altrove, tu dove sei, la tua voce dove, senza di te, senza il tuo aiuto. you got to understand is there's a war of two natures 
There's a part of you that wants more of God, but there's always that part that pulls at you that says, no, go back to the world. God, everything he offers is fake. There's that part that says, you're just buying into an emotional lie. But God told me to come and tell you tonight that the devil is a liar. In fact, I'm preaching about the war of the flesh and the spirit. And I'm looking for somebody to rise up in this place. Bring the lights up. It's looking for somebody that can rise up in this place and realize the enemy cannot have your flesh if you will simply say no. Somebody that will rise up and say, God doesn't make mistakes. Come on, give God a praise offering. In fact, you've got to understand something. Have you ever done something inside and you, you, you do something and you go, How did, why did I do that? The enemy within me. Why did I give in to that? The enemy within me. And see, some of you think when you get older, it's going to get easier. But the enemy's goal is to establish a stronghold at 14 years old that you're still embarrassing your family with at 44 years old. His goal is to get you so trapped and so held down by the enemy that you don't understand there's a moment that if you'll wrestle with God, if you'll let him invade, he can break those roots, he can cut those things off. And I'm preaching about the war. Is there anybody that understands it, really gets it in this place, that the number one thing that can destroy you is not what the world has to offer, not something that can pop up secretly under the covers on your cell phone, but the only thing that can destroy you is your war against your flesh and letting the flesh win. But there's a moment where you begin to cry out to God and say, I will not let this thing win. God says, I'm looking for a backbone to rise up in a generation to say, I don't have to be like everybody else. Jay-Z is not my idol. I don't have to look at what the world is saying. I don't care. I don't care what Ludacris has to say to me. There's a moment where you begin to say, I am not going to give in to this thing. And this is what God told me to preach tonight because there's a moment where it's not about worship services and shouting and dancing. It's about going into your prayer closet and saying, I'm not coming out of here till I come out a man of freedom. If I have to stay in here for 30 days or 40 nights, it doesn't matter. I'm going to walk in freedom. There's a moment where your flesh quits winning. Give God a praise. I'm talking about discipline. I can't tell you how many times my mouth has got me in trouble, how many times I've said something I shouldn't have said, how many times I didn't guard. Listen to me. I'm talking about put me on a suicide watch because I'm dangerous to myself. I'm talking about speaking about the by myself, B-I equals two, the sum of two that brings together one. You've got to understand. I love what Billy Graham said, the great preacher. He said that when imagination comes in conflict with will, imagination will almost always win. And in fact, Paul, and I'm almost done, Paul explains the war in Romans chapter 7 verse 11. He talks about there's two natures at war. In fact, when my son was walking through something in college from some mistakes he had made in high school and he couldn't seem to get free, I made him read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 every day until freedom hit him. And I love Romans 7. It says, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandments, it deceived me and through the commandment, put me to death. Sin will do everything to trick you. It'll do everything to pull you in. We don't preach about sin today because it's not fun. We don't talk about hell because that's not cool to talk about anymore. But hell's a very real place. But God doesn't send you there, but you can make a decision to go. And in Romans, Paul goes on to say, look what it says. I'm going deep now. Can we go deep? 
Because I'm tired of shallow Christians that drown in their own spit. Because there's a tide coming. And God's saying, I'm looking for you to be able to surf on this thing. I'm looking for you to be able to rise up and say, you can't have me. Romans 7 goes on to say, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I want, what I hate, I end up doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin living inside of me. For I know that God, the good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have... The desire to do what is good, but I can't seem to do it. Am I talking to anybody? You come out of a service and you are on cloud nine and you are dancing and shouting and within 45 minutes to an hour laying in your bed, that thing is leaning over you and it's hovering over you and it's calling you back in and it's telling you lies and then you'll make a mistake. You'll do something dumb the next day or that night and you're like, what's wrong with me? And what the enemy does is he starts laughing and he starts whispering, it wasn't real. What God did in you wasn't real. And God's standing back there saying, when did my arm stretching out the cross not be enough for you when did me declaring it is finished not become enough but the enemy stands back and over and over I'm preaching to anybody is there any failures in the room because there's a part of me that wants out because I have an evil twin and God told me to come and tell you it is possible to get free. I'm reminded of a great pastor. Uh, he's an African-American pastor in Chicago. I love this man. He's one of my favorite people. But he went on a 40-day fast because the Lord told him to. Because when you start starving your flesh, you better get ready. Stuff's coming out. Everybody thinks, oh, it's going to be this great spiritual moment. No. Because when you start fasting, everything in you is coming out. And all of a sudden, this great pastor had been in his prayer room for 40 days. He took a 40-day sabbatical and did nothing but fast and went and prayed. This great pastor in Chicago. And all of a sudden, he gets done with the 40 days. He feels alive. He walks out. True story. His wife says something to him. He walks into the kitchen. His wife speaks to him. And an anger rises up in him. And he throws her across the room. And he thought, my God, what did I just do? True story. I've never heard, I would never harm my wife. What just happened to me? He crawled back into his prayer room and he said, God, what just happened? I just fasted for 40 days. And God said to him, it was in you the whole time. The fasting just brought it out. The enemy within me. The person trying to tear me down. And the greatest enemy to this fatherless generation is not who walked out on you. It's not who promised to call on your 15th birthday and never called. It's not that they got a divorce. It's not who hurt or violated you. The greatest enemy of the fatherless generation is the fatherless generation. Something inside of you says, I've been done wrong, so therefore I can run around and wrong everybody else. And Romans 7, 21 says it. 
So I find this law at work in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war. Here they are, Jacob and Esau, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But then I love verse 25 because Paul gets real right here. This is Paul getting really honest. Paul is laying it out right here. He knows that he wakes up every morning with the blood of Christians on his hands. He knows what he came from. He knows the mistakes he made. He looks in the mirror every day. He prays every day. And three times he prayed that a, that a, that, that a spike in his spirit would be taken from him. And, and yet it did not leave. But I love what it goes on to say because he said it's so real. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. He stepped up. Something changed inside of him. Write this down. The end of me is the beginning of God. I am weary of perfect Christians. I am weary of people that run around and tell me how anointed they are. I am weary of people that walk around and they act like they got it together. Put me around somebody that's tripped enough to skin their knees. Put me around somebody that's made enough mistakes with their mouth and I'll show you somebody hungry. I'll show you somebody God can use. Don't put me down nobody perfect, all polished up, looking all holy. Because I'm here to tell you something. The ones that God is raising up are the ones with scars and the ones that have walked with some bruises. The ones that have been through just enough stuff that they can stand up on a platform and declare I'm not perfect but I know who is I had a young leader Facebook me last week a young preacher Facebook me and he said I'm going through it I want to quit I wake up every morning wanting to die the church the people love my anointing but they don't like me I pulled off the side of the road pulled into a gas station took my phone so I could respond to him because my wife made me promise I wouldn't text when I drive it's a personal promise and you shouldn't either because you, you're gonna text you're gonna die and and so I'm sitting in a gas station and I'm typing to him shut up grow up get your eyes on the cross and it's not about your anointing, it's about his. I thought, well, he'll never write me back. About two hours later, it pops up, Facebook message. Yes, sir, thank you. That really happened. I'm so tired of people that live their lives thinking it's about you. When did the cross become about you? Because the end of me is the beginning of God. In Matthew 11, 12, it says, from the beginning of John the Baptist until now, there's been a war going on. There's a battle. The kingdom of heaven is at war. And we're running around and worried about who gossips about me or who likes me or who, who wrote a message about me, who quit following me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the other stupid things. When God says there's a battle going on, there's people being hung by their fingers in other nations. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to get free, you better do war. You better do battle. If you're with me, great. If you're not, get out of the way. So this is it. Fast forward. Genesis 32. Jacob's been through some stuff. He's been lied to, tricked. His own father-in-law wants to kill him. You know, there comes a moment where it's not everybody else's mistakes. 
You know, if you've been to about seven churches and they all say the same thing about you, at some point we didn't do it. <laughs> Everywhere Jacob went, when he left, there was destruction behind him. And now it was catching up to him. Because there comes a point where you realize that it isn't everybody else's fault. You just need to look in the mirror. Let me set the scene for the greatest wrestling match in history. Across the river, his brother is coming to confront him. There's about to be an epic battle of two twins. A brother who had had enough, he had already lost his blessing and his birthright. Jacob is so scared that he sends his family away and starts sending gifts to his brother. Trying to appease the one that wants to kill him. But his brother didn't need it. Because even though he was, had been robbed, he was still blessed. And the Bible says in Genesis 32, verse 6, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we, want, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. 400 men are with him. It's about to get nasty. He's freaked out. Picture this with me. Jacob is sitting there, and he realizes everyone that he should have loved, he treated bad. Everyone that should love him doesn't like him. He sends his wives away, his family, and he's sitting by himself. Tomorrow he's going to die. What he didn't know is that God was going to use him to raise up the 12 tribes of Israel. But before God could use him, God had to take him through a wrestling match. And suddenly, but Jacob stayed by himself, it says in Genesis 32. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. I don't know if you ever wrestled. I wrestled in the ninth and 10th grade. It is the most intense thing you could ever do. Three minutes on a mat will exhaust you. Because you're fighting against something either stronger or even. Same weight class. There's usually only about five pounds that can separate you. And I don't know what happened, but I'm renting this when I get to heaven. Because here's a guy that had been a wimp and a deceiver and played with everybody's mind. But suddenly standing in front of him was the angel of the Lord. I don't know who threw the first punch. I don't know who did the first shove. But I bet Jacob stood up and said, I'm done. If you want some, let's go. And they started wrestling. And the man he was wrestling with, his name was Jesus. And as they start wrestling, it gets intense. Here they are in the middle of the woods. 
things are flying, branches are flying, they fight for hours. And for hours, something starts boiling up inside of Jacob saying, I'm not leaving here like the way I came. I've got to get away from this. I've got to get rid of the, I, I got to get rid of the fact that I stole a blessing and I got to earn a blessing. I got to get rid of the fact that everybody I keep hurting, my own family's afraid of me. My own children won't talk to me. My own brother hates my guts. My father-in-law wants to kill me. Everybody's against me. So starting right now, I'm going to have to deal with me. Are you getting this? Because it ain't everybody else's fault. And the Bible says that they wrestle and they wrestle and they wrestle and finally the angel of the Lord or what I believe is Jesus says okay it's daybreak everybody's gonna see me your brother's on his way let go of me and they're wrestling and as they're wrestling all of a sudden he's screaming and the angel of the Lord says hey come on get off me and what did he say not until you bless me and the angel of the Lord said you need to know the blessing is going to hurt because when God blesses you, he breaks him and suddenly hits him in the hip. Crushes his hip. And he's gone. Jacob gets up and he never walked the same. Oh, you ain't getting this. You ain't getting this. Because when you get up, you'll limp the rest of your life. When you get up, you'll drag that leg the rest of your life. And all that is a sign of is I've been with God. I may not run as fast as everybody else, but I've been with God. I'm looking for somebody that will fall on their face tonight and get out of this place. So I may not run like I used to run because I've been with God. And I'm going to leave a scratch on the ground everywhere I go pointing in this direction. As I drag my foot, it's proof that I didn't get up till I got free. And when I got free, it left me marked. Oh, you better get a hold of this. Come on, Pastor Rob. And this is it. What causes fights among you? Quarrels among you, James 4.1. Don't they really come from the war inside of you? See, you'll never become who you're called to become until you deal with who you used to be. In fact, the Bible says that he wrestled until he finally won. In fact, in Genesis 32, it was such an encounter. He said, I'm going to name this place Peniel. Because he said, I saw God face to face and I lived to tell the story. Do you know that God's excited about you? Do you know that you can actually win? My sister got free four weeks. Go ahead and bring that down. God gets excited about what he made. 
four weeks before my sister died, she had a radical encounter. It's the reason why I think I started a church. She called me every day and said, is this what it means to be saved? To feel this? We didn't know she had congestive heart failure from drugs. But Romans 18, or Romans 8 verse 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you're going to live. Romans 8 verse 12, God's excited about you. So don't you, don't you see that we don't owe this whole do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial. That's the old man. Bury the old guy and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons you. These are things to do and there are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurous, man. It's expectant. Greeting God with a childlike faith. Goes on to say, what's next, Papa? God's, God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is. We know who we are. Father and children. And we know what we're going to get, and it's called an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Jesus went through. But if we go through the hard times with him, this is the Bible. It's a message version. It says if we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. Watch this last promise. I'm done. Know this. Remember Romans 7 when you couldn't get it right? Remember Romans 7 when you failed all the time and you're like a man beating the air, the things you want to do you couldn't do? There is a promise coming. For we're more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither demon nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from his love. If I can somehow get you from Romans 7 to Romans 8, we're going to win. It's time to get free. It's time to take off your costume. Hebrews said that this word that I just gave you just left you naked. Hebrews 4.12 says that everything's left naked. But you got to make up your mind. No more love affairs with sin. 1 John 1.9 says, if I confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgive us of our sins and purify us. The word confess in the Greek there is homologeia. It means to openly, homologeia, it means to openly agree with God's opinion towards sin. So tonight we wrestle. Because we have a promise of 2 Corinthians 5.17. If 
any man be in Christ. He's new. Maybe for some of us it took us a while to become new. Took me a while. I was preaching a couple weeks ago and I looked over in the corner of the room where I was at in our sanctuary where we hold our school of ministry and doing chapel to them. And, and I saw this old wineskin in the spirit. I know that sounds weird, but I saw this old wineskin. I just ordered some wineskins because I'm going to do a, a, a message about wineskins. So I know what they look like. It's just it's like this leathery thing that holds drinks. They still have them in the Middle East and other places. But I see this old ripped up wineskin over there. I'm in the middle of preaching and it catches my eye and I didn't want it. I thought I was going crazy. First time I preached the Simeon cry that morning, two weeks ago, I looked over and it was gone. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I'm giving you a new wineskin, Pat. Leave that one laying there and don't pick it up again. You're not called to be the funny youth guy anymore. You're called to be a prophet to the nations. And I said, Lord, I'm scared. Because that wine skin is comfortable. And he said, but son, don't you want more of me? See, I don't care who you are. You have to wrestle. You have to get free. You have to break off the old. If you're still whining about something that happened to you 10 years ago, you don't even know where the cross is. If you're still dealing with lust issues, not that we, we all get confronted with it. Don't, no, no, listen to me. It will hit you every day. But if you made up your mind to go, you're not better than what he offers me. And he offers me freedom. That offers me bondage. If you're still dating somebody and you know you're not supposed to be dating them. And you're hoping someday get, they're going to get saved. There's an 86% chance they won't. There's an 86% chance they're acting the best they're ever going to act. If you're still so good at having your church friends and your the others, sooner or later those two worlds are going to they're going to they're, they're going to collide and you're going to get embarrassed. And both groups are going to go, you're a fake. And God told me to preach this. This morning when I woke up, he said, go over there. Because I had an old message about this. He said, but what if tonight at this camp, there was people in this room that were willing to get free?
maybe I just preach this for me. Oh, but it feels good. Because I don't know who this guy used to be. Because I don't have time to look back at him. Forgetting what is behind me. I'm oppressed. That means it's a war. I'm oppressed. I'm oppressed. I'm oppressed. Forget. I don't know what's back there. Come on, stand with me. I don't know what's back there, but I do know this. There's something in front of me I got to get to, and it's called His glory. And if it means I got to wrestle, Rob, I got to wrestle. If it means I got to fight, I got to fight. If it means I've got to cry out to God, i got to cry out to God because I've had enough of playing this punchy little game, acting like I'm free when there ain't no freedom inside of me, spewing lies out face to face, and you ain't had an encounter with God since you can remember because you're too wrapped up and looking at yourself. And God says, tonight I'm calling a generation of young and old to say, had enough of me. I want him, the enemy, within me.